Today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app on iOS and Android and join me today on, at 1 o'clock on Friday, 1 o'clock with Katie Heindel as we get into the action on Locker Room and talk all about your Toronto Raptors now that they move into the offseason. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free top of the Hail Mary three by Mopey. Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 951 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, May the 21st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, of course. And uh, please make sure to support the Locked On Podcast Network in any which way you can. Usually that entails subscribing to and supporting and listening to our shows. Uh, if you are a sports fan, we have shows for you covering all the teams that you love uh, and the leagues that you love as well on a national level. If you're a hockey fan, for example, you're coming off of the heels of last night's Maple Leafs disappointing Game 1 loss. Go listen to Locked On Leafs with Mike DiStefano to get the full breakdown on the loss, what went wrong, and of course the very terrifying John Tavares injury, which uh, all the best to John Tavares, captain of the Leafs, got a uh, knee in the head last night, and it was truly, truly terrifying, and uh, you don't want to see that, but Mike DiStefano will have it all broken down on what it means for the Leafs going forward on the podcast today, so go tune in. All right, on today's show, it's a bit of a special episode. I am going to take a back seat after doing this and then reading a couple ads. Uh, Vivek Jacob wanted to talk to our pal Brad Vermont about defense and wanted to put it on a platform. I was going to be on the chat with them and, and sort of, uh, you know, be there and, and ask questions of Brad as well, but I had a dentist appointment at the exact same time they wanted to record, and so I just figured, hey, why not? Go go nuts, Big V. And uh, so, yeah, this is a Big V episode. He carries the day. He's driving the bus with Brad Vermont, talking all about the Raptors' defense this season, the schematic flaws, the personnel, you know, what next season's defense might look like. Lots of great stuff. We love Brad talking defense on this podcast, and we love Vivek talking on this podcast as well. So gear yourself up for the dulcet tones of our boy Vivek Jacob with Brad Vermont. Let's dive into it right now. I'll check in with a couple ad reads, but otherwise, take it away, Big V. Hey everyone, I'm Vivek Jacob. You're used to hearing my voice and we've got Brad Vermont from Too Much Hoops on YouTube and Twitter. On Twitter, remember there's the underscore after two and the much. Brad, I mean, the king of everything defense. If you're looking to get into the nuances of defense and the finer points of it, there's hardly uh, a better follow. So I strongly recommend it. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure to be here as always. Brad, this started off as me just having a bunch of random thoughts in my head and just wanting to get into conversation with you. I'm glad we were able to figure out a way to put it on a platform and have this podcast. Shouts to Sean Woodley for yeah, letting we, us do that. We just had to usurp Sean for a, for a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, so looking at this Raptors team, this was a team obviously uh, looked like one of maybe the best all-time defensive teams in that championship run, finished uh, fifth in the league in defense that season, uh, second in the league a year ago. This season, they dropped off to 16th. And I wanted to get into all of the underlying things that have sort of led to that steep decline. What are, 
off the top, just what are some of the things that you've noticed that are different from last season to this? So, so the big changes, so last season, the Raptors ran out a starting lineup of Van Vliet, Lowry, Siakam, OG, and Gasol, which is basically exactly the same. Everything's the same, except Marc Gasol got replaced with Aaron Baines sometimes, Chris Boucher sometimes, and eventually Ken Birch. Um, and, and so that's, that's sort of where it starts. Um, the other big thing that happens is you also lose not only the starting center in Marcus Gasol, but you lose the backup in Serge Ibaka as well. Uh, another like veteran defensive player of the year candidate in his heyday who, who knows how to play the game of basketball and that center position is so important. So, so you miss that. And then you also like, you even miss, you know, uh, Patrick McCaw and Rondé Hollis Jefferson getting some of those spot minutes that are going to guys who are maybe not quite as good of uh, defenders as those two. Um, and, and so the, the real big deal is just that, that hole at the center position and, and that puts a lot of pressure on them. And then, you know, there's there, the other part of it too, is I, I don't think we can get all the way into this without just like saying up top, like, I, I think playing in a different city where the franchise is not located also has some effect just on everything related to the team. Uh, so I'll throw that caveat up top kind of with everything that we're talking about, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of health issues, and then and then that that kind of gaping hole at center is is really a problem as well. And some some stats that that just kind of show what, what leads to this sort of a drop off is the Raptors allowed five percent better shooting within five feet of the rim this season. So way better shooting at the rim. Like that's a big jump. Last year they were mm-hmm. third in opponent shooting at the rim. This year they were twentieth. So that's a steep decline. And then last year, they were also number one in opponent three-point percentage. And this year, they were number 24 in opponent three-point percentage. And so you are basically giving up like way more, way better shooting at the rim and at the three-point line, which is kind of not how it's supposed to work. It's kind of supposed to be like, okay, we're packing the paint. So maybe we're giving up more threes or better threes, but at least people aren't scoring so much at the rim. It's like, no, it's where they're actually scoring more at the rim and they're scoring more behind the three-point line. So it's just like a, a double-edged sword. Uh, that is uh, a little bit schematic kind of why that happens with the Raptors rotation heavy style. Uh, it just, uh, once you start to get into that rotation, any breakdown really causes a big problem and, and it can lead to wide open threes or wide open layups too. Um, so that there definitely uh, was a learning curve this season, I think with that. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect segue into our first point of debate. And one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, how much of this is obviously, as you mentioned, the, the personnel issue and all the other mitigating factors in terms of playing in Tampa and whatnot. Uh, but how much of it is also um, other teams catching on and understanding what the Raptors are doing where, you know, I'm looking at that Boston series and, you know, big picture, we talk about the NBA being a copycat league and, you know, people seeing what the Warriors did and then, you know, seeing what the Raptors did a lot of teams were playing more zone defense. We, we, we saw box and one and triangle and two use a, a lot more often across other teams. And I think, you know, when people saw the Celtics beat the Raptors, they did sort of catch on a little bit into how to break them down and understanding, you know, a bit more of the value of patience on those flybys and just, Hey, we can just sidestep this here and get uh, a great look. And I think some of the opponent three point percentage had to do with that and understanding those open looks and, for me, even a little bit of role players understanding that against the Raptors, they can expect to be volume shooters where 
you know the Raptors MO is going to be to get the ball out of superstars' hands and challenge other players to be better and step outside their box. But I think when you now have that expectation that that's going to be your role, I think it makes it that much easier to step into those shots. And and an, even like a compounding factor is with it being a copycat league, it's not just you're up against the Raptors and that's the only time or one of the only times that you play against a zone defense. It's uh, the use of it is so widespread now you're getting reps against other teams zone defenses and you're sort of fine tuning uh, your process offensively. And and I definitely agree with with what you're saying to some degree. I, I think we could debate about how big of a degree it is. Yeah. But, but the a big part of what made the Raptors defense like unbelievable in 2018-19, the championship season, was how innovative it was. And so, uh, uh, you know, people see more tape on it. They copy it. They learn from it um, and, and, and they get better. And, and one of the things, too, about the championship run is that the teams that they played on that championship run, particularly in the Eastern Conference, the Sixers and the Bucks both had the same weak point that the Raptors defense was really great at, at uh, exploiting, which is like two or maybe three guys who don't really want to shoot threes. And that Raptors defense was so good at packing the paint and forcing the ball into Tobias Harris's hands, who was not the shooter he is this season, and into Eric Bledsoe's hands uh, and those guys on the perimeter. Um, and and so that was, uh, the, the Raptors were just well-equipped to handle those matchups. And then in the finals, it was a little bit of a different style uh, loading up to Curry the way they did uh, and, and then tracking uh, clay off ball as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, they're just uh, the, the innovation, the little boost that you get from being innovative that disappears. And, and so you just lose a little bit of that edge. Um, and, and even last season, I think as the, as the year went along, you didn't see all teams like the Raptors still had the number two defensive rating in the league. That's, that's amazing. But uh, but you did see sometimes when teams that are really well coached were just kind of ready for it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think to some degree that's what happened with the Celtics. And they had the shooting uh, on the floor to be able to take advantage of the Raptors rotations. And even uh, I, I always feel like when they play the Heat, especially this season, the Heat, like Spolster, he just gets it and he gets his guy in the right position. Everybody ha- knows when they have the green light and uh, and they're not afraid to let it fly and they can hit the shots. So uh so yeah, I think there definitely is some some learning curve uh, that that other teams have gone through that has sort of made them a little bit better equipped to handle the Raptors' defense. And so I think some of the maybe more marginal plays that the Raptors could get away with last year or the year before this year, teams are ready for it. And like like you mentioned with the the flybys, you know, uh, guys will just be a little more ready to just pump fake, escape dribble, put it up, and uh, and and those things add up. We got a whole bunch more with Big V and Brad Vermont coming up in just a second. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Theragun who are really, really helping take the stress of daily life off of your body. Whether you're an athlete, someone like me who's just getting back into exercise and is very sore as a result, Theragun can help. Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. That's awesome. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension or from working out or an injury that you might have had, just the stresses of everyday life, whatever it might be, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. 
Look, there's a, th- this is a product that I absolutely stand by. I have a Theragun. Last Sunday, I went for a 35-kilometer bike ride after really not doing a whole lot of exercise for a couple months except for one warm-up bike ride the day before. And uh, I used my Theragun afterwards, and my legs felt amazing to the point that I went for a bike ride the next day. Usually, that would have me out of commission for like two, three days, but the Theragun really helps you recover. It's incredible. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of customers, sorry, and me. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on. Theragun.com slash locked on. Uh, you mentioned learning curve. Let's zoom in a little bit on the learning curve of this schemes itself because we saw Nate Bjorkren go over to the Indiana Pacers and he clearly tried to bring over those defensive schemes. You saw them try to switch out a different uh, options on zone from time to time. And at times you saw, you know, a couple of the Pacers in a box of one, you saw a couple others in a triangle too, and sort of uh, losing track of what they were supposed to do. And I feel like some of that played into what the Raptors uh, did this season, where not everyone was on the same page. And you did see those breakdowns and you did see those possessions where, hey, maybe they play great defense for 18 to 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden at the back end of the clock, there is that final breakdown that allows for that open layup or open three, whatever it may be. And so, you know, how difficult a system is this to learn? Is this a system that's built for experienced veteran guys that absolutely know where they have to be at all times? I think that is definitely part of it. it. Like if you look at the personnel of that Raptors championship team, like, like uh, here, I'll, I'll run it down. It's like, it's Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Mark Gasol, OG, Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka. It's like all these guys are either like defensive player of the year caliber players at some point or all defense caliber players at some point, whether they won one or not. Like that, that is not just like great athletes or something too. Like it's a lot of like genius level basketball players who know exactly where they need to be and, and everybody being on the same page like that, it just takes everything up to another level. And even last year you lose Kawhi and Danny, but you still have the main core of guys, you know, kind of keeping it afloat. And then you lose Gasol and a buck and it's just a little bit more institutional knowledge that's leaving another couple of vets and, and the, the centers in particular are so important when they're communicating on the back line of the defense because they can see the whole floor. And so that uh, that really it, it uh, it's it's kind of a game changer when you take that away. And so so, yeah, I, I think uh, it is best suited for um, guys who are are not only really athletic because you have to have those guys like like the defense doesn't really work if you know, Fred Van Vliet isn't super jacked so that he can handle when he get, has to go against a big guy for five seconds or or if Siakam and OG can't fly all over the floor or Kawhi and Danny when it was them. Like, y- you need those great athletes in addition to being really heady players. And and because the defense is, is so, plone to, excuse me, so prone to blowing up uh, when when there is an error, like, you, you really can't do it with two bad defenders on the floor. It's not like if Doug McDermott's on the floor, it's a, it's, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that's part of the problem with translating that to the new, the Pacers this year, and even to new guys on the Raptors this year, it's like, okay, Stanley Johnson is, has good defensive skills, 
but he doesn't necessarily, he's not necessarily a good defensive decision maker. And, and that is a, that is a big difference because it's not just like the kind of defense where it's like, okay, you stay in front of your man and lock him down. It's like, no, you, there's so much weak side stuff that you need to be tracking everything that's happening on the court and making those rotations and, and rotating early, uh, and, and communicating and anticipating where the play is going to go. And, uh, and, and just not everybody's built for that. Not everybody can pull that off. Like no, no shade. Part of it, uh, part of what needs to happen in that situation is you need to have a coach who recognizes it and, and makes adjustments. And I think over the course of this season, we sort of saw a learning curve for the coaching staff as well for sort of like, what can you get away with? How far can you push Siakam's athleticism to, to sort of like wallpaper over holes uh, and, 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 and kind of what can you get away with? And, and they did try some different things over the course of the year too. You know, like there were, there were times when they were trying to play drop coverage with Baines and pick and roll. And he would just kind of find himself under the basket <laughs> while somebody does a layup on his head. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, definitely some growing pains. I think this season in terms of uh, not, not only the new players, but I think the coaching staff as well, just kind of like figuring it out because that first season, you, you basically have one of the, in my opinion, like top five defenses of the last like 30 years, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like them, the Pistons, some of those Spurs teams and like the Bulls or something <laughs> uh, in the MJ year. Like there, there's a lot of uh, defensive talent there. And so uh, you, you're kind of figuring out as you go along there. But it's not like Nurse had like 10 years of experience before that, where it's like this season he can say, okay, now I'll fall back. I know a little bit what to do yep. with some weaker guys. So that's uh, that sort of is, is my thought about it too, is, is that the the coaching staff needed to have a little bit of a learning curve. And, and Nate Bjorken might be dealing with a separate and larger learning curve. <laughs> you know, one of the points that really stood out to me that you made there was the communication on the back line. And I think because we were privileged to watch Ibaka and Gasol in rotation, we, we maybe took that a little bit for granted. Uh, and you look at how the Raptors play defense this season, you look at how many times there were breakdowns, and you think back to the number of times Gasol would actually put out fires before they could even happen by just yeah. calling stuff out. There was yeah. none of that this season. Yeah, and and just like little positioning adjustments and like, threat assessment like is this guy who's coming off the screen actually looking to score or is he looking to pass like just like real time sort of scenario recognition and and little adjustments that really uh make a big difference and then yeah just just like communicating to in terms of like what people are running like if you just get a, a one second head start on a on a closeout or something like that's that's huge that that completely changes the play uh so so yeah that's definitely something that that the raptors have missed this season now, one thing I w- wanted to get into a little bit is a bit of a random thought that's been in my head, and I'm going to cha- channel my soccer passion here and <laughs> watching Manchester City win the Premier League. Obviously, they're in the Champions League final as well. And one of the things their manager, Pep Guardiola, who's obviously considered one of the greatest managers of all time now with everything he's accomplished, is he said he recognized how congested this schedule was going to be. And so he knew in advance that his tactics couldn't be as physically demanding, that if they were going to get through the season, he needed to essentially, you know, not use the entire width of the pitch the way he used to and just 
ensure that he wasn't having the players run as much as they used to and have the ball do that much more work. And I was just thinking out loud, like, hey, is there a way that could have applied to basketball? You think about the way nurse nurses schemes are so demanding. Everyone's got to be constantly ready to scramble and help. And is there a way he could have mitigated any of that? I think about their record and back to backs. You know, was it almost impossible in a congested schedule to then be put in a back-to-back situation and still play defense the way Nurse expects. All of that, is there anything Nurse could have anticipated in that regard and been less physically demanding? It, it's tricky with it being less physically demanding because, I mean, I mean, I guess you could. It would be like you know maybe less miles run on the court over the course of the game <laughs> a little bit, but the the intensity is kind of still there. Like I was thinking about this, I'm like. I guess you can slow down the pace is kind of an equivalent of that. Like if there's less possessions in the game, maybe it's a little bit left, less effort, but then it's also, I like, was thinking about that too, but the problem there is it goes against the Raptors strengths, right? To actually exactly. Cause they're, those transition they're they create these turnovers and create these transition opportunities. And then you're kind of a struggling team. It's like, if we can get a layup instead of, you know, our half court offense grinding to a halt, like, please give it to me. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's a hard adjustment to make. And then, so I mean, I think it sort of goes back a little bit to like the the learning curve of of what you can get away with with kind of inferior defenders com- compared to previous years, where like this season, I think I think more so than changing the style necessarily. It's like you're you're just gonna have to run a deeper rotation this season, especially with mm-hmm. how many guys you know miss time on on the Raptors due to COVID, due to injuries, all that kind of stuff. So you, so you need to start, you need to expand that rotation. And then as soon as you do that, it's now, now your, your core four guys on the floor aren't Van Vliet, Lowry, OG Siakam. Now it's like, okay, Van Vliet and Siakam, OG and Lowry are out. So it's like, we'll try and piece it together with Stanley and, and Utah and, and, you know, Boucher or whoever. So yeah. I, I think, uh, I think in retrospect, uh, nurse may have like simplified things a little bit just to just to allow for more guys uh in the rotation to be a little bit more successful um but i kind of think i think the like the learning curve needed to happen like the that Mm -hmm. you the you the failure uh you just kind of needed to see it to be like okay we need to change something because another part of the raptor scheme too is okay we're going to try and direct three pointers to the guys that we want to shoot three pointers. There's natural variability in three point shooting. And if the guys you want to be shooting are shooting it, it's like, okay, fine. Like if, if they get hot, we'll lose. Um, and, and so you, you kind of don't want to overreact to hot shooting. Um, but then, you know, <laughs> after a while it's, it's, uh, starts to become clear that maybe it is not necessarily, uh, just a randomness that that is uh, generating those those baskets it's uh, a, a schematic flaw and vivek and brad are going to round out the conversation in just one second here but first want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.ag the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action baseball's in full swing as are the nhl playoffs the nba playoffs as of this weekend and a whole bunch more of course you got your you know bi-weekly ufc and mma cards as well and all of it is available to be wagered on at betonline.ag don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs through the playoffs head 
to the website or use your mobile device today and receive a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up on your first deposit. It means you put in 100 bucks when you open your account, you're going to get 150 bucks into your account uh, to play with. That's an awesome, awesome deal. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Make sure you use the promo code locked on, all one word, to get that 50% welcome bonus. And now let's get back to it with uh, Vivek and Brad Vermont rounding out the show. Uh, and I'll come back at the end for a quick uh, sign off, but enjoy the rest. Yeah. And, you know, even going back to the point I was making earlier about role players having the expectation that they're going to have uh, a volume night for themselves. You know, we have to see how that plays out now once uh, everyone's back in front of a crowd and all of that, because we've seen, you know, significant enough splits in terms of role, role players performing on the road versus at home and all those types of things. And in the bubble over the course of the season, we haven't really seen the effect of that. And so I think they're in that much more of a comfort zone. And I think that plays a little factor into how the Raptors play their schemes uh, as well in terms of the execution of it. So there, there's a lot of tiny things that, that, that all add up into, I think what we saw on the whole this season and so why don't we get into, you know, just the players that might not be back next season, may or may not be back next season, and how uh, you would sort of rank them uh, in terms of their ability to execute the scheme, in ter- just, uh, you know, based on what you saw this season. And so I'll give you the names. Uh, you can give me a quick, you know, number out of 10 in terms of how well uh, you think they fit into uh nurse's defensive style we'll start off sure. the top obviously with kyle lowry but we, we don't know whether he's going to be back or not where would you rate him <laughs> on a scale of one to ten uh very high especially in terms of like genius level uh stuff i think he's a good communicator on the floor i think he's good for the raptors intensity um uh i think he has taken a little bit of a step back defensively this season he'll probably take another little step like he's just getting older like that's just what happens your athleticism yep. falls off a little bit uh, and you and you get by on the strength of, you know, how high your ceiling was when you when you started falling off and how smart you are, uh, which luckily he's great at that. Uh, but but uh, yeah, I, I would give him like a like a 10 out of 10. Like, I, I'm not worried about him. I think uh, you might want to use him as more of like a weak side defender a little bit more compared to like Van Vliet or OG on ball. Um, so so that's something to think about. Like, I don't think you want to put as much of a defensive load on him. Uh, but uh, but yeah, still great. Gary Trent Jr. Hmm. <laughs> not as definitive. Um, yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure about his defense. Like, he, he's he's okay. He's athletic. Um, he's young. So I think there is still, like, some learning to do. I also, like, I don't know how principled Portland was defensively uh, yep. in, in, in his time there. Um, so... So I think there is some like some growth in terms of like technical skills and stuff and and decision making. Um, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sold on him as a defender. Like I don't think he's trash or anything, but I think he is sort of like a a lateral move from norm, essentially. Like I, I think it, yeah. this is it, watching no, him feels there. like when you're kind of watching a uh, slightly younger norm, and it just is like he gets a little bit lost sometimes, but. He's trying hard, and and sometimes he, he comes up with a steal you didn't expect or something. So I'll give him like a five out of ten. Do you have a preferred position for him to defend? I, I know you mentioned with Lowry, it's more like off ball where he can kind of see things and you know anticipate and use those kind of skills. Uh, is there a preferred position that you prefer that you like to see Gary Trent in? 
Mm, he, I mean, I said Lowry off ball, but I would more have Trent off ball, like more hiding in the corner <laughs> <laughs> than, than Lowry. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think his size is nice. Like, it's nice to have like, a, if he's playing shooting guard, to have like a guy yeah. who's six five instead of a guy who's like five eleven. But, uh, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not a hundred percent sold on his ability to hold up defensively, especially if the Raptors are are trying to do like complex stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm mostly with you there. Not sure if you've seen enough of him just yet, but where are you at uh, in the small sample size of Jalen Harris? Jalen Harris, I'm not really sure about the defense. Like, I, I, yeah, I don't fair. feel like I, part part of what's difficult with judging the the role players who, especially ones who didn't get to play earlier in the season, is it's just like you throw them into a lineup now with like okay, like Freddie Gillespie is starting with like Jalen Harris and Malachi Flynn, and it's just like, well, I, I don't know how much we want to see him in this role next year anyways so it's, yeah. it's just kind of like an outsized role relative to his expectations um mm-hmm. again nice nice to have his his size like he looked good shooting the ball sometimes uh but uh tough tough to gauge the defense i, I will abstain no that's fair number. enough <laughs> stan lee johnson stanley is like a like a six like i i he has very good defensive skills but he's mm-hmm. not a good defender. <laughs> like, if that makes <laughs> sense, it's uh, like he, he makes like some some dumb reach in fouls uh, that I don't really like. Or he's like late on a rotation or just kind of like some boneheaded plays that that just don't need to happen. And then he doesn't give you enough offensively to to make it worth it. Uh, yeah. So it just it just kind of becomes a, a frustrating experience. Um but at the same at the same time, like he, he's not a bad defender. I just don't think it is like high enough to make the lack of offensive upside worth it. Mm-hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head with Stanley about the boneheaded mistakes because for me, like he has the skills. That that point you made about him having the skills but not maybe employing them the best way. To me, he comes across as someone who wants to defend his way, and I feel like that doesn't necessarily fit into what the Raptors are trying to do all the time. Because of his physical gifts, he's able to do certain things and get away with certain things. But in terms of how the Raptors want to play on the whole, I don't think he's the best fit. Yeah, I think he would be a better fit. Like even even if he played as much on another team as he does on the Raptors, if he was like on a a team with worse defenders who were just doing more simple things. Like if he was just on the, like let's say he was on the Blazers and it was just like, we need you to give us 15 minutes guarding the like opposing wing. See what you can do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think that would be a better situation for him to succeed than, than kind of what the Raptors are looking for. Not sure if you've seen enough of this guy, uh, Paul Watson Jr. Uh, I haven't been super, impressed with his defense uh, he, he is also another guy where you know he hasn't played a ton and and yeah. some of when he was playing wasn't with the best supporting cast around him uh not necessarily like a realistic situation what you'd expect to see in in the in the playoffs or something uh but uh but i'm i'm i, I sort of would rank him maybe like a step above gary trent jr defensively mm-hmm. uh and and which is about where i have stanley but i think he has the offensive upside so much more with his shooting um whether whether that elevates to a level that that is good enough to see him getting consistent minutes i I don't necessarily know but uh i'm I'm not opposed 
I think the next player is a bit of an interesting one because, you know, he has the flashy stats, but I don't know if they're necessarily necessarily reflect his full defensive ability. Um, Chris Boucher. Hmm. Chris Boucher is a, is sort of yeah. I have him a little bit on the like outside of he's like on the periphery of the, of the the guys that I like in the rotation. Um, when he's disciplined, he 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 does well. Uh, he's not always disciplined, um, and and but I, I mean he he showed more this season defensively than I expected him to, and he has he's been he's showed like quite a lot of development if you think about his time from you know a couple years ago when we started seeing him just in very brief yeah. stretches to, no to the amount that he gave the Raptors this season. Um, so and I and I think. Part of the pain of this season was kind of forcing him to be a five when he's not really a great five. So I think if he can keep the shooting up, which is, you know, it's a big ask. Uh, he made a big leap this season in terms of three-point percentage. Uh, but if he can keep the shooting up to be able to play along another non-shooting center, then uh, then I, I don't have a problem with him being sort of a, a, a bench piece uh, moving forward. I also think um, if the Raptors do make a move this offseason... He, he would potentially be somebody that another team would be interested in as well. Um, I think he still yeah, has a, it's, a, it's a very team good option. contract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I think he's a, an intriguing guy for other teams too. Um, so I'll, I'll be curious to see sort of where the Raptors offseason takes them and, and whether they view him as part of the future or, or just, you know, a guy to eat some minutes next season. Now here's a fun one. Utah Watanabe. I love Utah. Uh, I I think he's got, I I think he fits in really well with what the Raptors are trying to do defensively. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for him, the key is going to be what he can do on the offensive end, staying aggressive, uh, hunting that shot, taking it when it's there. Um, Probably something that we didn't get to see much this season that I'd like to see a little bit more next season. And and it will help when he's playing with, with better guys alongside him is uh, attacking off the weak side. Like, uh, you know, somebody else drives into the paint, kicks out to him. And then he attacks the rim and uh, tries to get a dunk or something. Um, but in terms of his defense, like I, I love the he plays with like real tenacity. Like he he plays hard all the time. He he runs through uh, everything he's trying to do. He's got great length. Like uh, he's he's uh, yeah. Like you see him out there sometimes. You're like, damn, he's like he's got more length than Siakam. I think. Like <laughs> like he's he's yeah. a, he's a big dude. Uh, and and he moves really well with his size too. So. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely like what he brings to the table and I'm, I'm really hoping a Raptors uh, pick up his option. Whether the shooting will be there to, uh, to get him lots of minutes, we'll see, but uh, I think it's definitely worth a, worth a shot. Arguably the best closeout option that the Raptors have. When you see a guy flying by and still staying in the play, <laughs> Utah Watanabe is usually the guy doing it right. <laughs> yeah, he does a great job. I, I, I would... Give Siakam that uh, that uh, position out of respect, but uh, is <laughs> up there as well. Couple more, um, because I am fairly certain that we aren't going to see Aaron Baines in a Raptors uniform next season. Uh, where are you at with Freddie Gillespie? Freddie Gillespie, I I like more what I've seen from him offensively than defensively. I think um, uh, I like uh, on offense. He's got really good patience. When he gets the ball, like kind of 
even inside the key, I'm like, damn, he's going to get called for a three second violation. He goes so slow sometimes, but he really sort of gathers and, and makes sure he has good balance to go up and he goes up strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I sort of love the, uh, the strength that he plays with down low. Um, I think the game is a little bit fast for him at times defensively, like just like reacting and, and processing everything. Yeah. Um, but as a, you know, as a development prospect, uh, I, I think uh, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm quite happy to have him as the third string center option next season. Yeah, exactly. Like he's he's a good guy. Like if you know the top two centers, one of them's out and he has to eat some minutes, like that's doable. And and then you know with with the skill development, maybe he winds up giving the Raptors you know ten fifteen good minutes uh, even when everybody's healthy. Hmm. And we can wrap up with. Someone who made quite the impression in his short time, Ken Birch. Really like Ken Birch. Uh, I, I think he's got offensively, he's got tremendous hands. Uh, I, I love the way he can catch the ball and kind of put it up. Uh, like a lot of big men really struggle with that kind of in between game. Like it's not quite a dunk, not quite a layup, uh, not quite a shot. Uh, but he's got that little push shot floater. Uh, yeah. Really nice uh, touch around the basket. So I love that. I think defensively he's he's kind of average, um, what, which is like is not necessarily a bad thing. Like that is a big step up from what we saw earlier in the season. <laughs> like average feels like a godsend. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I I hope the Raptors bring him back as well because I think uh, I, I think he has a lot of talent. I think he plays really hard. He's got good length. He's not like the bulkiest guy, but he also is not like a string bean either. Like he 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 can deal some damage down low. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to, to have him back next year. Uh, yeah, I, I think he'll be a good, uh, a good piece moving forward. I think, uh, like, I think there's a pretty good chance he like tops out as like, like if you're a championship team, you probably would want him like coming off the bench. Yep. Uh, but I don't think the Raptors are going to be a championship team next year, most likely. Uh, so he might be starting or, or he might be a very serviceable, a, a very good backup. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, Brad, this was a really fun conversation. I've heard you talking to Will. I've heard you talking to Sean, different podcasts. I heard you do your thing. So it was nice to finally have a conversation with you instead of just uh, jumping in in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, appreciate you making the time for this. Oh, my pleasure. Fred Van Vliet for the- all defense. <laughs> All right, that'll do it between Vivek Jacob and Brad Vermont. Excellent stuff breaking down the Toronto Raptors. Uh, not so awesome defense this year and looking ahead to what it might look like going into next season. Obviously, lots of good Fred Van Vliet defensive propaganda as well. Uh, great stuff. Uh, big thanks to Big V for jumping on. Thanks to Brad for joining him as well. And uh, that's going to do it for the week of shows here on the podcast. Thanks to those who listened this week. If you have not yet listened, I really recommend going to listen to the Chris Bosch episodes. They were super fun to do with David Ramil this week week and uh I, I would like people to listen to those they were really really fun um otherwise thanks so much to everyone for tuning in all week long have a wonderful long weekend i'll probably still do an episode on monday even though it's technically a holiday we'll see uh sort of what transpires over the weekend but i'll likely have an episode and uh we're gonna start diving into player reviews next week we're just gonna dig into the season that was take a couple weeks on that before we just ratchet up our draft coverage fully as we get closer now just about a month away from the draft lottery 
So that's what you can expect from the next couple weeks of the show, honestly. Player reviews, draft stuff coming afterwards. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll have some fun, weird concept episodes in there as well. I promise. Uh, Either way, thanks for listening, and have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Bye-bye. 